You are listening to Governance 360, a link group podcast hosted by me, Lindsay Dowd. Hello and welcome everyone to the next link podcast. Today our topic is reconnecting individuals with their assets and as well as our head of industry, Jay Baker, I am delighted to welcome our external speaker for today, Paul Agard. Paul is Chief Executive Officer at Vestigium Services, which is a fintech startup company that reunites customers with their unclaimed assets. So I'd like to just start by asking Paul, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about what you do and also more about Vestigium Services, please. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Lindsay. Um, Terrific. I'm delighted to be here. And uh, Vestigium Services, we work with caring financial services organisations that want to reconnect with gone away customers and the estates, the executors, the next of kind of deceased customers for financial services companies. Uh, we don't uh, work directly with anyone else but our financial services customers. They are the people that uh, want to find and reconnect with their customers. We're not on commission. Uh, we don't take money from the other side of the transaction from consumers. We're free to the consumer. And in that sense, we provide a public service, but our, our, our clients are the financial services industry. Uh, we have clients that, uh, such as JP Morgan, Invesco, M&G. We have a range of asset management clients. We also are the single source supplier of our services to SS&C, who have about, I think, about 40% of the financial services industry and asset management. So uh, it's all going well, and we're enjoying working with those clients and actually doing what we think is a good thing. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so just moving on to look at a few issues mm. associated with this. So what does gone away tracing actually mean and how, how do you measure the success of that? Can I, can I use an example? And I call it the Kent couple. The Kent couple, we'll call them the Johnsons. That seems to be the surname <laughs> of, of note at the moment. Uh, they live all their life down in Kent. And uh, they have three life assurance policies, two investment trusts, a couple of unit trusts, a couple of bank accounts. Their eldest daughter says to, says to them as they get older, why don't you come and live in Norwich next to me? Around the corner from me, there's a house for sale. And I can come in every day and look after you. And so, so they do. Rolling on a year or so, he dies, Mr. Johnson. Uh, the DDRI register, which is the register for deaths in this country, uh, have him down as died Norfolk and Norwich Hospital, last known address Norfolk. All those financial services organisations that have products with him won't be able to find them without what we do, which is tracing, because they because the postcode that he died in is nowhere near the postcode where. They had the they they had the original sale, and that creates a huge problem, and again creates another huge problem when his wife goes into a care home, and she, there's also a generation of of elderly wives who didn't know all the financial details of of the family. There is that issue. There's a dementia issue, and we're create so there's a whole number of vulnerable people-style issues that have come out of this. And uh, the children are now paying for her care home 
fees out of their tax money, not knowing that the, the elderly couple had set aside money for exactly this situation. And uh, what we endeavour to do is to actually do some proper forensic tracing such that we can reconnect the financial services organisations to, uh, to that family such that monies can be paid out as due. That's essentially what we do. That's a, that's a wonderful example, uh, Paul. That, that, that actually leads on so wonderfully into what the future looks like in the share registration industry. And the same problems exist where mm. um, the, the Johnson family move to, to, to be closer to um, their offspring and, and assets that, that get lost in that way because uh, address changes haven't been applied to various registers of members uh, uh, across uh, across the country. So, as you know, we're, we're, we as an industry are looking at the Dormant Assets Commission mm. um, and how that is going to that won't necessarily in itself reunite assets with uh, with their owners, but what it will do is put those assets to good use. How do you see Vestigium and other companies helping that? That, that arrangement around um, tracking those shareholders, or what, what is it that Vestigium does differently from its, from its peers? What it does differently, uh, Vestigium works with about 50-plus different databases that we work on, but the key to Vestigium is actually a real person, and there's a real forensic tracer. You know, the profile of a Vestigium worker is, is usually a, a post-grad from a university doing papers around where, where sort of research over the computer is, is part of the degree. History, for instance, mm. would be a classic example. Yeah. And we believe that just what, I, what we call postcode matching, which many companies do, where they just try and sort of hand out their list of, uh, of customers with 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 postcodes and say, find these people. They're then matched against someone else's list of, of people's uh, postcodes. If the postcodes don't match, they will come back with a no response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And doing that, but doing nothing more than that, we don't believe is adequate going forward with, um, you know, with the FCA's principle six on treating customers fairly. And we think that you one needs to do a bit more to, to find to a 99% degree of accuracy, which is what we do, someone who bought a policy in or a share in 1999, where they are 20 years later in 2019, requires a little bit more than just a digital solution. It requires someone actually be... This person may have got married, changed their surname, got divorced, changed it back, Mm -hmm. moved house two times. All of that needs to be trailed through so that we know when I say to you, that person now lives at 30 Acacia Road, St. John's Wood. They really do. It's not a guess. It's Mm -hmm. not a, you know, let's send a letter out to this new address and we'll get half of them wrong, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) It's actually right. And that requires a real real person in the middle. So we digitize as much as we can, but actually the, it's the forensic piece that, that, is, that makes all the difference. So there's no contact between Vestigium and the end investor. It's Vestigium with its client. Yes. And the client is the one that contacts the end investor. Absolutely the... right. We have no contact with the, with the customer, the end customer themselves. I don't want to be involved in... 
the grubby end of the market, commission commission um, based. I I really want to just help financial services companies who really want to actually solve the gone away problem, and it's a massive problem. We are talking, the FCA talk about for life and pensions twenty billion. So wow. let's just run with that number and double it for asset managers and banks and building societies. You're talking 40 billion. The truth of the matter is no one knows the number and hence lies the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, for those organizations that don't contact all their customers every year, they'll never know. Mm -hmm. So whatever they report is the people that they can't find. They, well, they're not writing to them, so how would they know? Yeah. For those that are doing this now on a regular basis, which is actually... The, you know, the good end of the market, these these people are actually reporting between 5 and 10% of the books where they can't find people. And what Vestigian does is, uh, is say, don't give up. Our track record actually is to find first flush half that list very quickly. Um, probably 10 or 20% will actually report back and say, not, the data is so poor you'll never be able to find them. Mm -hmm. And the rest is uh, we call pending. So I'm not a salesman, right. okay. <laughs> so I couldn't come up with a fancy name for it. But essentially it goes into our, our repository. And what we're saying is over, over the next few years, we will find those as well. Right. Now, why can't we find them straight away? The answer is, let's take an example of someone that goes on a three-year secondment to Canada. Right. And then disappears off the radar, and then and then three years are up, comes back to the UK. Yeah. They come back to the UK and they uh, apply for a mortgage, whatever. All of a sudden, they're back on some databases uh, on the radar, and we can then say, "Ah, welcome back. We know you. We know you're the the, the person that bought this." policy in 1985 it is you and now we've tracked you because we have enough information to do that and right. refind you so the databases are changing all the time so another reason for having a real person sitting in the middle doing the forensic trace and keeping an eye on it yeah so you uh, can trace people internationally as well it's a, yes absolutely um for one of my asset management clients i found um he, admittedly, I think he had a. He was having a midlife crisis, I suspect. But he, <laughs> but he runs, he runs a cafe in Vanuatu in the South Pacific, and we found him. Oh wow! So you know, it's a mixed bag around yeah. the world, and as I said, it might take time. It might take one, two, three, four mm -hmm. years. It it may not be instant. But I think from the financial services organisations, they can then say, well, we've got a process in place to yeah. find these people. Yeah. Um, you know. As opposed to giving up and saying, you know, these people are gone, they're gone away forever, and that's all there is to it. So, I was just going to just going to ask Lindsay uh, Paul directly. In your, I mean, in your experience, why are these assets considered dormant? I mean, what what's driving this dormancy or the the question of these people being gone away? What, have you got any any insight into those patterns of why that's happening? No. Well, I think there is the driver from the Dorman Asset Commission who have come up and said, this, this, we could give this money to charity. And I think that's got everyone's attention. Um, and I'll come back to that if I may. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, I think we now know as caring 
as a as the caring part of the industry, caring about our brand and reputation and financial services, that we genuinely, genuinely want to do the right thing. Um, and we're in, we're we're spurred on, admittedly, by by regulation. Uh, it is not. I. It is less and less acceptable to uh, use a digital matching process and then give up. Uh, you know, one one looks at. I think the regulations are keen to sort of employ that we employ two methodologies. Mm-hmm. So, giving your database to a. Uh, of customers to someone who who then come back and find ten percent, and then saying I'll give them to another person with a big list, and they'll find another five percent, isn't actually two methodologies. It's one methodology done yeah. twice. Yeah, and that goes to the point that you were making that the asset value is not your concern. Your concern is just locating the person. Yes, and that's worth explaining too, because I don't not on commission. I don't really care whether the customers owed a hundred pounds or a million pounds. Mm. I just want to do a good job and find them for the financial services organisations. Yeah. Um, they have to make the call on what is we would call de minimis. You know, you know what is worth investing the yeah. time the yeah. time in. My my own view is for live business, if you like. All customers, we should, we should be providing a level of customer care to all customers, which involves writing to them annually and actually knowing that they are still there and they are not they, they are not a vulnerable person at that time, and you know, and we're doing the right things by them. Uh, there is an exception on de minimis, which is I'm not sure you're aware in the in the uh, life and pensions industry there is uh, industrial business. So it used to be the old penny policies that used that were written in the uh, the 50 you know well, actually the first half of the uh, 20th century those amounts are very small mm. and uh, and it, it one could one could say that there is a de minimis level where the, the, we we as a financial services industry or that part of the industry have yeah. lost contact for years and years and yeah. years and years and years and and a digital solution is probably the only only way yeah. there, and it won't work for most of it. But yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure, you know, that, that it's actually worthwhile spending more money on finding that lot. But I think for most companies with an active, ongoing customer base, then yes, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't yeah. matter whether you're you're owed a hundred pounds or or a million pounds. Yeah. And in your experience, what do you see that de minimis being? Is it fifty pounds, hundred pounds? Five thousand pounds, or whatever it may be. I think it's it's probably closer to between one hundred and two hundred and fifty pounds, that kind of level. I yeah. don't I don't think it's uh, uh, it's smaller than that. I mean, you've got to put yourself in the customer's viewpoint. That's, yeah, um, interesting. What we've got out there is not the financial services viewpoint. So, so what we've got out there is a lot of small amounts owed to a lot of people. Yes. We could be talking one or two million people who are owed not very large sums of money, but to, to many of them, it might be. It might be, absolutely. It's a very, very valid point, very valid point. Um, so interestingly, we were talking about digitalized digitization, but also I was interested to hear you say that that can't actually be the full driver. There also has to be the forensic involvement as well. Um, so in terms of moving forward, do you see that that is going to be the model? Or do you think digitization will actually be the solution in the future? Will become more sophisticated? Or do you also, do you think that we'll always need that 
personal intervention to for a good, um, efficient tracing process? I think we'll always need uh, a, f- a personal intervention. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a luddite. I actually believe. I think di- di- digitization will get better and better, um, but it won't be the only answer. Uh, and it's about. And again, it comes back to simple postcode matching. Uh, it doesn't actually work. <laughs> uh, going yeah. back to my Ken couple example, uh, yeah. it, it, it doesn't work where you've got mobility, social mobility or, or otherwise. It doesn't work when you've got care homes. It doesn't work with the, uh, in, 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 those, in those situations. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm a believer in the hybrid solution. I don't think we need – I'm not looking at building an organisation with hundreds of employees doing everything manually either by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. If, 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 there are, if there are parts of my business that I can uh, automate, then by, by golly, I will, and I am doing so, and we're doing it gradually as we go on. So I, I look at what my people do forensically, and I say, is there, any, is there anything you're doing that would be actually be, be better suited to a digital solution? Tell us, and we'll, you know, um, we'll, we'll build the systems accordingly. But we are talking, uh, in terms of gone-aways, we are talking, in those kind of numbers, 40, 50 billion, uh, lots of legacy, lots and lots and lots of legacy um, going back. I mean, I saw one person's book where the oldest person on their, on their books was uh, born in 1900. She, and it was a she, um, obviously had died years ago. Uh, no one is, is, 2000, is, is 119 years of age. Uh, so she died, but her son may have died in the Second World War. So we've got a lot of legacy in there. Yeah. The people that we're, the customers out there don't even know that they're entitled to this money. So there's no one, it's not like we, <laughs> the passive solution of saying, well, we haven't stolen the money as an industry. What we've done is we've put it away and, you know, all they have to do is ring up and claim. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people I'm talking about don't know to claim. Because they don't know that it was their great uncle and and their their grandfather and whatever had these policies at all, so nothing's happening at the moment, uh, and that's probably where the uh, the word dormant came out because they are literally just sitting there doing nothing until such time as someone says let's do something about it. Now I'm a, an evangelist for we can find three quarters of that. Um, of those people and their and their and their assets by trying, yeah. Uh, and this this morphs nicely into the dormant asset commission. I was report. just going to ask you about the dormant assets commission <laughs> and, and the reclaim fund. I shall be quiet now and let you carry on. Well, the dormant asset um, commission, I, I think, did a good job, and they wrote a report. And actually, in the executive summary at the front, they actually say more, sh- more much more should be done yeah. to find gone away. Customers before such as such such a state as those monies are then transferred to charity, and I totally agree with that. Mm. I, I totally totally agree with that. I think we and as I said, I think we can find the bulk of this and return it to its rightful owners. Mm-hmm. Emphasis on rightful owners before we hand other people's money to charity, as a as a sort of a sop for not doing anything mm. ourselves. And I think, you know, the, the organisations that, that are my clients actually get that entirely. And they'd rather return the money to the right place than to just hand it to charity. It's their customers, for goodness sake. Yeah. And they're passionate about their customers as much as, you know, I am about mine. 
And they actually want, you know, it's much better for them, brand, reputation, resale opportunities, to actually find the right person and say, this belongs to you, re-engage. I agree. And I think even from the Dormant Asset Commission's perspective and the Reclaim Fund, it's much better for them to receive the, the true Dormant Asset rather than a much bigger pool on which there will be future claims. So much rather they would rather receive the smaller pool yeah. for distribution um, where there's an unlikely occurrence. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have had conversations with Reclaim Funds Limited who, who are the recipient of the bank's monies under the, uh, under the dormant asset uh, rules. And they totally endorse what I'm trying to do. We're not at each other's throats at all. Like, you know, they would be delighted if I can find lots of people mm. and get those money to the monies and assets to the right place such that the monies that they get, they can distribute rather quickly out yeah. to the charities. It's um, counterintuitive, but they'll actually get money out, you know, faster. Yeah. If, if, if a proper tracing job is done up Agreed. front, then, then at the moment where they're actually sitting on the money going, oh, my God, you know, if we give that money to charity, the customer always has the per- right to perpetuity yes. to, yeah. to, to reclaim. And then we're going to have to pay, it, pay out twice, all because the institutions who gave us this money have not really, really given it a, a good go at sort of tracing. Understood, yeah, yeah. yeah. On, on identifying gonaways, how many? I, I'm interested to know what that split would be. About you mentioned earlier that there's the the pendings, um, your immediate uh, success rates, uh, whatever percentage you mentioned, fifty yeah. percent. Um, how many of those you identify as being deceased? Oh, that's a very good question. On on all our over all our clients to date. It's slight. It's a frightening figure, actually. It's thirty percent. So yeah, let wow. me be absolutely clear on that. If we find fifty percent, thirty percent will be dead. Which and if so, therefore, on the total book, you're talking fifteen percent. Yeah. But that's a big number. Yeah. That's a far bigger number than it should be. Now, in fairness, I'm looking at asset managers who would be very similar to Lincoln shares. So that's that's the stat that you're going to get. Mm. The life and pension stats are lower because they do what we call in the, that industry mortality testing, particularly you know on the pensions annuity books. So their numbers will be a bit lower on deceased. They're a little bit more sophisticated. But even if it was half that, that's huge. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. But on asset managers, definitely, you know, you give you give me a thousand gone ways to look at. Yeah, and I'll and I'll find you, you know, uh, 150 deceased people. So yeah pretty much straight away. But the reason I ask that question is because it occurred to me that many beneficiaries of deceased estates or the executors are unaware of what the true extent of the asset value is or what the asset holdings are of the deceased in the first place. So when that estate comes to be liquidated, there are often these pools of shares or pools of other investments that are totally forgotten about. Um, and Absolutely. I, and I wondered... How we as an industry, maybe not for you to answer, Paul, but I wondered how we as an industry could tackle that in the first place to avoid that even becoming an issue. So it's more to educate the shareholders to ensure that record keeping and all the rest of it is is, mm. is up to date. That's not even really for the registrar to do, but uh, that's food for thought for the future. 
Yes, you make a you make a good point. Well, it's quite easy to understand why people don't know about these. You know, the, you won't know about the deceased assets, uh, and the people are deceased, and and these assets. If you if you go back to a will, the will will often say, and all other assets going to be split by between whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It says all other assets. It doesn't actually list them all. And that's for obvious practical reasons. You do a will once, you don't want to do it for another 10 years. But meanwhile, things are changing. Yeah. So you've got that issue is, is really coupled with the our, our desire for privacy and, and secrecy. And if I use a very personal example, me, my <laughs> children who are 16 and 20 respectively have no idea whatsoever about the financial wealth of me as a, as our family, my wife and I as, as a family. They know we live in a house and they know we've got a couple of cars. That is it. And that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way it is for virtually every family uh, uh, around. So if my wife and I die in a car crash, they are nowhere in terms of knowing where to start in this whole process. So what I'm trying to do is to get financial services to actually then do it the other way around, to, to actually come out and find them. Right. Uh, it is so difficult for them to, to actually find the financial services organisations. And, you know, you've got my lost accounts and all these other things. They don't really help at all, uh, you know, in the, in the sense that you've got to guess and apply one-on-one to each bank and each life assurance company in the UK, you know, and just ask a general question, you know, know, did my dad have one of yours? Mm. It's just impractical. The most practical way is to get the industry to be in regular contact with all its customers. When my own father died, I was lucky in once, only once in the sense that he was organised and I went through, rifled through his study drawers and found a couple of life assurance policies. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would have no idea. Then that brings us on to the future where actually this problem is going to get worse because we're now entering in an age of the paperless uh, you know, office and, and uh, yeah. paperless transactions. That's all very well, but access to the emails and the... Uh, you know, and the files on, with Google of your late father's, you know, uh, records mm. is going to be almost impossible, as I think even the, uh, the security services have found out. You know, we're going to be locked out of actually being able to discover what our parents had. Right. That's a on a, for, from a digital point of view, and there will be no paper. The only practical way of solving this problem is financial services to step up and say, we keep an eye on all our clients and where they are. Mm. It hasn't happened in the past. It needs to happen now. That's, that's a very interesting. Um, and what's, if, if we were to sort of a difficult question, we obviously just try to think, to actually make that step change, to make financial services companies actually get into the mindset of realising that they've got to instigate this, what, what do you think needs to happen in the industry? Is it a matter of embedding something in corporate governance? Is it regulations? Or is it still that there isn't enough awareness um, out there? What, what, what do you uh, think needs to change, Paul? 
I think I, I've been on this journey, on this road for a couple of years now, but only a couple of years. And there's been a massive siege change between when I talked to people two years ago and mm. even today. That That is all positive. I, I have this list of blue chip clients because they get it. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I, yes, out there are, are a number of financial services organizations that, you know, that maybe haven't got there yet on their journeys, but they're getting there. And I think that's right. I'm not a basher of the financial services organizations. I think they actually, I'm very positive. I think they really want to help. If I was asking for one thing from, I guess it's from the regulator, it isn't actually another stick so they could beat my, my client base up with for, for being a bit slower than necessary to do this. It's actually the it's actually the ability for my organisations to be able to charge the end client for the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't sound a lot, you know, and I, my fees are sort of range between sort of like ten pounds and twelve pounds, but it's a massive sea change for the industry. When you're talking about a big life and pension company that might have three or four hundred thousand gone away, so you can and needs to do this on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you can see. It is decent sums of money. But when in the life and pension industry, where the average policy is £18,000, and in that sense, £10 doesn't seem a lot of money. Mm. So, but it's just that there are a lot of them. Um, I don't think that any uh, end customer would object to the fact that they got £18,000 minus a £10 fee. Or it, Truthfully, it would be a bit bigger than that because my costs need to be added on to the re-engagement costs of the companies themselves. Yeah. But we're not talking big sums of money. And I think clarity on, on, on what can be recharged to, to do this, this is in the, for the customer's benefit. Yeah. But I also understand that you know, some of the financial services industries, you know, industry, particularly life and pensions, um, they've bought closed books uh, going back 50 or 60 years and really haven't budgeted for, for these kinds of sums of money. Um, and, and I think there needs to be a carrot and a stick. Uh, but we are getting there. And I, as, as I said, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm really encouraged by the, the amount of people that uh, ring me up and say they want to work with us. Yes. Good. Well, I have to say, Paul, that's been wonderfully yeah. insightful. Yeah. It's, uh, you've, you've brought a different perspective onto what tracing and gone away shareholders is all about for us. Certainly something for us to think about. But before we draw all of this to a close, I'm going to ask you a direct question. What is keeping you awake at night? What, whether that is about those, those shareholders who are, 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 are uh, who have left their certificates behind sofas and uh, and don't know what they're doing, um, or or is it that that issue of um, the the resources that are available to your customers in order to to do these schemes in the first place? What is keeping you awake at night? I I, I think I, I'm very aware that I'm I'm sort of only halfway down the journey here, and and so what keeps me awake is is content you know that continual link to get. How you know more and more clients, potential clients for me, are uh, aware of the issue, uh, and I think you know I, I'm not sure that there are enough CEOs of financial services organisations 
who even are aware of this. I think I think um, at corporate governance level they are, definitely, but it's whether that filters up. Because for me, and I was reading a book the other day on which has just been released, I won't I won't name check, on, on brand and reputation. What I I'm really I'm an advocate for positive, you know, reinforced brand and reputation improvement in the financial services industry. That's that's what I'm really strongly on. And I think we can actually create an industry which is well even more respected than perhaps it is at the moment. Right. Uh, but doing the right thing. And that's my passion, to get people to do the right thing. Excellent. So growing awareness, I think, is, yeah. the, yes. is, is, the, main, is the main driver. At this stage. Yeah. yeah. So we've got some work to do with our, our clients at Link, and I know that our, our peer group uh, in the industry as well is working hard to, to try and work on that awareness uh, with its own client bases as well. Thank you very much uh, to Jay and especially to Paul for that incredibly insightful conversation. I think we can all see this is a massively hot topic. Um, lots more needs to be done in the industry and I really look forward to seeing many more financial services companies taking this forward. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Listen, I just wanted to say thank you to both you, uh, Lindsay and, and Jay, for uh, allowing me to come in and talk to you. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it. So thank you for the opportunity. It's thank been you. our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast description for more information on this episode's guests and presenters. And if you want to get in touch with any of us, we'd love to hear from you.